You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. There is a vast difference between hearing about the Grand Canyon and actually standing by the Grand Canyon. It's one thing to hear about that natural, God-created wonder. It's another thing to personally experience it. Well, this morning we are talking about Jesus. We're talking about some wonderful historical realities, things that really happened in human history. We're we're talking about the finished work of Christ. But I want to remind you this morning that there's a vast difference between knowing some things about Jesus and personally experiencing Jesus. And I want to show you that from the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Turn there with me. John chapter 20. We'll begin reading in verse 24. John chapter 20. Verse 24, you found your place. I want to ask you if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Hey, choir, that was a nice little song. (laughs) I love it. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down. Hallelujah. Amen. Good, good stuff today. John chapter 20. Verse 24, the Bible says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and My God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's pray together this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name we come to you. Lord, we come to you because we need you. We come to you because we ask you to work in our midst. 
By the power of your Spirit, would you take your word and apply it to our lives that we might be transformed. Lord, help us today not just to talk about Jesus and hear about Jesus. Lord, move in such a way that we personally experience Christ in this place. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, just a bit of context so we understand what's happening here in this text. This text comes at the end of the Gospel of John. If we back up to the very beginning, we learn that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, left heaven and came to earth. In fact, it says in John 1 verse 14 that the Word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. Jesus left heaven and came to earth. He came to earth born of the Virgin Mary. In the womb of Mary, the second person of the Trinity took on humanity. So when Jesus was born, he was born fully God, fully man. And Jesus lived a a perfect life, a life without blemish or spot. Jesus never did anything wrong. He was perfect. Jesus never said anything wrong. He was perfect. Jesus never thought anything wrong. He was perfect. He never treated anyone wrong. He was perfect. As he journeyed on this earth in a public way, he healed the sick. He caused the blind to see. He cast out demons. He even raised people from the dead. He taught his hearers, his disciples, astounding kingdom truths. He was good. In fact, at one point, some people observing him teach said, Jesus does all things well. And Jesus knew why he was sent to this earth. He knew that God had sent his son to die for the sins of humanity. So Jesus was not surprised, nor was he a victim of circumstances beyond his control when he was betrayed by the kiss of a friend. He was not surprised when he was arrested and tried and beaten and crucified. The Bible tells us that Jesus laid down his life. He allowed himself to be nailed to the cross. And and from 9 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon, Jesus hung there taking all of your sin and shame and all of my sin and shame on himself. And on the cross, Jesus Christ was taking the penalty that you and I deserve. And at 3 o'clock, Jesus cried out, It is finished! Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last and he died and he was buried. And early on the third day, the Bible records that he rose from the grave. He defeated death itself. And after his glorious resurrection, Jesus began to appear to his disciples. And here in this text we see... That a group of disciples got to experience the resurrected Christ. One of the original 12 disciples, Thomas, was not there when that happened. So when his friends told him, we saw 
Jesus resurrected alive from the dead. Thomas said, no, no, no. You're not getting me with that. Unless I see him with my eyes, unless I place my hands on the prince, the nail prints in his hand, and my hand touches the, the spear mark on his side, I, he says, I will never believe. And then we get to this text where Jesus comes to encounter Thomas. And we see Thomas... Not just hearing some things about Jesus, but we see Thomas personally experiencing Jesus. What I want to do very quickly this morning is I want to share with you four realities. Four realities that occur when you experience the resurrected Jesus. And we see it right here in the text. Number one. When you experience the resurrected Jesus, he will turn your turmoil into peace. Notice what the Bible says there in verse 26. It says, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them and the doors were locked. Why were the doors locked? The disciples, maybe Thomas is leading in this effort, are scared for their lives. They were followers of Jesus and they saw their their master crucified, their teacher, their rabbi, their Lord, crucified. And and so maybe they're thinking, well, they're going to come after his followers next. And they're in a locked room. And then it says Jesus comes into the room, even though the doors were locked. He had a resurrected, glorified body. He comes into the room, stood among them, and said, what are his first words? Peace be with you. You need to understand that one of the realities that you and I experience when we meet Jesus personally is an overwhelming peace. And the Bible speaks of peace in three different ways. First of all, the Bible speaks of peace as peace with God. We are sinners who have rebelled against God. And Romans 5 teaches that in our sin we are enemies of God. We are separated from God. We've rebelled against His will and His way. But Jesus came and died for our sins. He took the punishment we deserve so that if we place our faith in Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, He applies His shed blood to our lives and His blood washes away our sins. In other words, we are completely forgiven of everything we've ever done wrong or will do wrong. And because that impurity is taken away, we are then reconciled to a holy God. So we go from being enemies of God, watch this, to being Friends of God. Peace with God. A relationship with Him. And Jesus gives that peace. Peace, He says, be with you. But not only does the Bible talk about peace with God, the Bible talks about the peace of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, there's a a peace that God gives you through the daily experiences of life. Over in Philippians chapter 4, it says, Be anxious for nothing. Anybody been anxious this past week about anything? Raise your hand if you felt some anxiety this past week. All of us. And the Bible says, Be anxious for nothing. 
But in all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God offers you a a real, practical peace through the daily realities of life. It comes from Jesus. Peace be with you. There's also a peace that believers have in the face of suffering and death. Over in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says, To live is Christ. Every day we have on this earth, every day our heart beats, every day our lungs breathe is another day to walk with Jesus, another day to talk with Jesus, another day to serve Jesus, another day to worship Jesus, another day to tell others about Jesus. To live is Christ. It's an opportunity. But guess what? To die, Paul says, is even better. He says death is gain for the Christian. Because when we die, we step out of this old world and its problems and its trials and its tribulations. And we go directly into the presence of Jesus when our faith becomes sight. Amen? In other words... If you have personally experienced Jesus, you can have peace even in the face of death. Hey, if he walked out of the grave, I'm walking too, amen? Years ago, I was at a men's conference and one of the speakers was Jeff Struker. Jeff Struker is a pastor now in Georgia. But before that, he was a U.S. Army Ranger. He was involved in... The Battle of Mogadishu, that battle in the early 90s became famous when an Oscar-winning movie called Black Hawk Down was released and people learned the realities of that battle. If you've seen the movie or read the book or maybe heard the story, as a convoy goes in to try to capture a suspected terrorist... A group of rangers are rappelling out of a helicopter. One loses his grip on the rope and falls and is injured, lying there on the ground. And enemies begin to converge on that point. Jeff Struker was leading a three-vehicle convoy. And they came and picked up the injured ranger, put him in one of the trucks, and began to go back to the base under intense gunfire. In fact, one of Struker's best friends was fatally wounded. He was killed on the way back to base. They got back to the base and they learned they'd have to go right back out because a Blackhawk had crashed. A little bit later, another Blackhawk was going to crash. They had to go back out into the city under incredible fire and danger. And Struker said... He was getting the vehicles ready to go back out into the city. And he got some water. And he was washing the blood of his dead friend out of one of the trucks. And he said, fear gripped his heart. He was a believer in Christ. And he even prayed this prayer. God, I know I'm going to die in the next few minutes. And I need your strength. And here was Struker's testimony. I heard it at this men's conference. 
He said, at that moment, there came an overwhelming, listen, peace. Because the Lord reminded me I belong to him. I've been forgiven of my sins. I am saved. I am a Christ follower. And I knew even if I die on my next mission, to die is gain. I go to heaven. I cannot lose. And his faith in Christ gave him peace in one of the most dramatic Difficult situations you can imagine. You see, when you know Jesus, when you've personally experienced Jesus, He gives you peace. Here in the middle of this perplexing situation for the disciples, the door's locked. They don't know what's coming next. Jesus says, peace be with you. Second reality. When you experience the resurrected Jesus, He will turn your wavering into worship. You're wavering into worship. Look what it says there in verse 24. Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came, when he appeared to the other disciples. So other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. He said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas was a follower of Christ. In fact, earlier in the Gospels, when Jesus is going to Jerusalem, he knows he's going to be arrested and handed over to men who would eventually kill him. Thomas says, we'll go with you. We're ready to die for you. He was, at that moment, a courageous follower of Christ. But here, his faith is wavering. And we all have moments... When our faith wavers. It may be for you when you were a teenager. When you had to decide if you were going to take ownership of your faith. Or maybe as a teenager now. You got to decide, my faith is not just my parents' faith. I'm going to follow Christ. And it's a crisis moment, a wavering moment. Maybe for a young person that's in a class in college when a professor speaks with authority, ridiculing the things that you believe. You grew up in church and your parents are believers and you walk into some classroom and here's this, here's this PhD casting dispersed on the things you've always believed and you begin to waver. Wait a minute, is this stuff really true? Maybe you've experienced wavering when your life fell apart. You've gone through something very difficult and you begin to wonder if God is in control and if God really cares about you. I believe that all believers at some point in their spiritual journey will experience a crisis of belief. And that's what's happening here with Thomas. He's wavering. And yet Jesus comes to him. And we learn how to deal with our wavering. When you experience a crisis of belief, that's when you need to fix your eyes upon Jesus. Three things very quickly. You need to remember his presence. Look in verse 26. It says, 
Jesus came and stood among them. He's reminding Thomas in that moment of wavering that Christ is the faith. Hey, Thomas, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm with you. And you and I need to remember the promise of Christ. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said, I'm with you to the very ends of the earth. So when you feel yourself wavering, when you experience a crisis of belief, remember at that moment, Jesus has gone nowhere. Jesus is there with you. Secondly, you need to remember his love. Look in verse 27. He said to Thomas, and we don't know the tone here. The Bible doesn't tell us the tone. But I, but I imagine this was a tender moment. He took the time to come and encounter Thomas. Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Now think about this. Thomas got to touch the nail prints. Which were... Evidences of Christ's love. He was reminded in that moment, Jesus died. He allowed himself to be crucified. Oh, what amazing love. And his love was, was overwhelming to Thomas in that moment. You need to remember his love. When you're going through a crisis of belief, remember Jesus loves you. And you need to remember who he is. Look in verse 28. Thomas answered him when he sees the reality that Jesus Christ really is alive. He's defeated death. He says, my Lord and my God. Ha curios, ha theos, my Lord and my God. He remembers that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus Christ really is God in human flesh. He's reminded of who Jesus is. And when you find yourself wavering, when you find yourself experiencing a crisis of belief, you need to go back to the Word and remind yourself who Jesus really is. You may remember in 2008, a very well-known Christian singer named Stephen Curtis Chapman lost his daughter Maria in a very tragic way. They had adopted her from China. She was five years old and his teenage son was coming home from school in a big SUV and he was pulling into the driveway and Maria was excited to see her older brother and she starts to run towards the vehicle. He doesn't see her and he runs over her and she tragically dies. Can you imagine the pain of that moment? And I remember Claire and I uh, we, we were grieving with them. We've always loved Stephen Curtis Chapman and his music. And, and we began to read interviews and, and hear interviews of how they were coping with, with that great darkness, losing their child. I read one interview where, where Stephen Curtis Chapman called it, listen, unfixable grief. And some of you in this room have experienced unfixable grief. Nothing anyone can say. No explanations that will take the grief away. You've walked through the valley of the shadow. And it hurts. And it cannot be fixed. But here was the testimony of the Chapmans. Day after heartbreaking day. They kept their eyes upon Jesus. 
They remembered he was with them. They remembered that he loved them. They remembered who he was. And Stephen Curtis Chapman now says very clearly, My faith got me through. My faith got me through. You see, when you personally experience Jesus, he will turn your wavering into worship. That's what he did for Thomas. From a crisis of belief to saying, my Lord and my God. There's a third thing here. He will turn your doubts into assurance. Look in verse 24. Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And down in verse 28, after he experiences Christ, he says, my Lord and my God. Charles Spurgeon says that he, Thomas, made a splendid leap from the depths of doubt to the firm rock of confidence. I like that. Now there are two types of evidences here that Thomas experiences, that you and I can experience when it comes to assurance that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he did. There's objective evidence of the resurrection. There in verse 27, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand, place it in my side. There's there's objective evidence that, that Thomas could see and experience. And you and I have objective evidence that Jesus Christ really did die on the cross and rise from the grave. There's the evidence of the empty tomb. Think about it. The the authorities, the Jewish authorities, the Roman authorities, they wanted to stop Christianity in its tracks. And all they had to do to stop it was to go to the tomb and say, here he is. But he wasn't there. Another piece of objective evidence is his appearances to over 500 people. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Jesus Christ has risen. And after his resurrection, he appeared to hundreds of people and most of them were still alive. If you wonder if Christ really did rise from the grave, go talk to some of these folks. Eyewitness evidence. But then, what I believe to be one of the greatest pieces of objective evidence that Jesus Christ rose from the dead was the transformed disciples. They go from hiding in a room to on the day of Pentecost, preaching the gospel boldly in Jerusalem. Why? Because they had experienced the risen Lord Jesus. Did you know that all of the disciples, other than John, history records, died as martyrs for preaching Jesus? Chad Meister writes, historically people have been willing to die for what they think is true, even if what they believe turns out to be false. But people are not willing to die torturous death for what they know to be a blatant lie. The disciples really did experience Jesus. There's the objective evidence of the resurrected Christ. But there's also another piece of very important evidence that Jesus Christ really rose from the dead. And it is subjective experience. I was saved by the grace of God when I was nine years of age. I heard the gospel. My pastor walked me through it. I knew I was a sinner in need of a savior. And I called on Jesus, invited him into my life. And I was saved, forgiven of my sins, and began a journey of following Christ. 36 years now. And can I tell you this? By just way of personal testimony, Jesus is working on me. Listen, I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. You know why? 
Christ is changing me as I walk with Him and talk with Him and live in relationship with Him and abide in Him. Jesus is changing my life. And if you're a Christian, you're experiencing the same exact thing. In fact, there's a popular Easter song that goes like this. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me no matter what men may say. I see His hand hand of mercy, I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. Listen, you ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. I know Jesus is alive because he's personally changing me every day. He lives. But number four, and we'll be through. What are the realities when you experience the resurrected Jesus? He will turn your turmoil into peace. He will turn your wavering into worship. He will turn your doubts into assurance. But fourth and last, he will not allow you, and this is so critical, he will not allow you to be defined by your failures. What do we call Thomas in the church? We call him Doubting Thomas. We take one of his weakest moments... And we attach it to his name. And that's how we refer to him today. Now, don't you know Thomas is in heaven saying, come on, folks. That, that's what, you're going to call me Doubting Thomas? Until Jesus comes back? Doubting? That's what you're going to call me? One of his weak moments has been attached to his name. And it's unfortunate that we remember him in that way. Let me, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be defined forever by one of your greatest failures? I mean, who in this room, if a video on the screen was replayed of your life, who of us would not hang our head in shame? We've all blown it, amen? And how would you like it when one of your sins on the screen is then taken and attached to your name? There's old Lion Larry. No offense to any Larry's in the room. The L worked good. There's old prideful Peter, you know. There's, uh, there's old uh, John that cheated on his taxes. How would you like to be defined by your failures? For some reason, we call Thomas Doubting Thomas. He wavered, but Jesus drew near to help him in his weakness. And listen to this, Jesus was not through with Thomas yet. In fact, history records that in A.D. 52, Thomas traveled all the way to India to share the gospel. Now, I've been to South India. And did you know that people in India still talk about Thomas and still revere Thomas because he's the one that brought the good news to them? There are churches in India today that that trace their lineage back all the way to doubting Thomas. Jesus was not through with him yet. He became a bold missionary for Christ. And so maybe we don't need to call him doubting Thomas. Maybe we need to see ourselves in Thomas. And recognize that 
we all have some weak moments. Can I get an amen? And in our weakness, oh, I'm so glad that Jesus is gentle and tender and a restorer of our soul. He will not allow you to be defined by your failures. You know why? Because he died on the cross for your failures. And if you've embraced him as your Lord and Savior, your failures, oh, it's so good. Your failures have been forgiven. God no longer holds them against you. He remembers them no more. It's good, good news. And so here's the point. Jesus Christ defeated death. He's alive forevermore. And He will transform your life. Listen, when you personally experience Him. There is a vast difference between knowing some things about Jesus and having a personal experience with Jesus. A personal relationship with Jesus. So keeping that in mind, I want to just ask you just for a moment, just to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want to ask you this question. Have you encountered Christ personally? I'm not asking you if you're a member of a church or have gone through some religious rituals or if you're a Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian. I'm not asking any of that stuff. I'm not asking you if you're a good person. I know the answer to that. The answer to that is you've sinned, I've sinned, we've all sinned. We need forgiveness. I'm asking you Has there been a moment in your life, a point in time in your life when you've placed your faith and trust in Christ alone and called on His name and invited Him into your life? The Bible says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. Romans 10.9, John 1.12 To as many as received him, received him. To them he gave the the right to become children of God, even to them that believe on his name. Have you received him personally? Gone beyond just knowing some things about Jesus to actually knowing Jesus. You say, Pastor Wade, how do I know that I'm ready? How do do I know that I'm ready to receive Christ today? Question number one, are you a sinner? If you can say yes to that. The second question is, do you want forgiveness of your sins? If you can say yes to that. The third question is, do you believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead? If you can say yes to that. The next question is, do you want him to be Lord of your life? If you can say yes to that, the final question is this. Why not today? Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.